Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley. I'm joined by Greg Barnes, Ross Martin. You're listening to the Inside Carolina podcast sponsored by JohnnyTShirt.com. Of course, your place to get all your Carolina gear. I'll come in to Ross first. Ross, I usually start with Greg, um, but I'm going to change it up a little bit. Last couple of days has really been all offense, all offensive availability for you guys in the media. Longo yesterday at length and today. Sam Howell, Cade Fortin, and Jace Ruder are all available to the media. One thing I thought interesting, and you've covered them long enough to know, you've got three guys that were provided to the media that have played um, roughly a game total between them. I just thought that was interesting that Mac Brown and his staff put those guys out front and center two weeks before the season starts. Your thoughts on that and then your general takeaways from each of those guys. Yeah, I mean, credit to UNC for, for putting the three guys that are obviously the gaining the most, most attention from the media and from fans. Uh, I think it's good publicity for the program uh, to show off those guys. They're, they're all three pretty impressive guys. And, you know, we never get to speak to true freshmen before they played a game, whether that's football or basketball. So to get Sam Howe 12 days into camp is, is kind of cool. Uh, but you're right. I mean, it, it's dealing with very young players. They haven't shown us much. We can't really... We, we, we know that Cade Fortin can do something with the ball and, and move the football. Jace Ruder has played so little, it's hard to really make a, uh, a really good uh, guess there on what he can do. And then obviously Sam Howell hasn't played college yet. Um, so it is kind of just dealing with freshmen. And I thought, I, I think the general takeaway from 12 days is that while I think Mac Brown and the coordinators, everyone says they are, are they're even. I mean, I think that's pretty much the case. There hasn't been much to separate them. We haven't seen anything to, to kind of back that up, but it just it just seems they're so similar in what they can do, um, where maybe Sam Howell has the, the most physical ability. Uh, Ruder and Fortin you know, have that little bit of experience, and, and, and Ruder's more athletic, but Fortin can throw the ball a little farther and stronger and more accurately. So I think it is pretty even. Um, you know, there's obviously going to be separation day to day, but overall, they're going to still compete probably up until a week before. I'd imagine they're going to have some separation, maybe knock one off after the second scrimmage, which we expect to be Saturday. Um, but I would assume by game prep for South Carolina, they have their guys set. Um, and then from today, after speaking with the three guys, uh, nothing really stands out. I mean, they're, they are both seem very intelligent. Um, you know, I've never really talked to Sam Howe before. You know, he's very confident, carries himself with a little bit of swagger, I thought. You know, you get those Baker Mayfield comparisons. I think that's kind of accurate. I think he knows he's really good. He's waiting to show that. Um, and the other two guys are, are confident, too, and, and, and impressive to talk to. Um, I don't know if Greg has anything that stood out in particular from those three guys today. Well, Greg, let me sort of ask it, and we talked a little bit off the air. And one takeaway I got from watching all three of those interviews back-to-back is, at least in my eyes, you could really tell the two that had been on a college campus for a year already. Greg, your thoughts? Yeah, for sure. But I would say that, I mean, all three of these guys are young. Uh, that stands out to me more than anything. I mean, if you if you go back to you know guys like T.J. Yates in 2010 and, and Marquise in 15 and Mitch in, in 16, 
and even you know Nathan Elliott to some extent last year. They were they were poised. They were comfortable with the media. Um, they answered what they wanted to answer. They didn't answer what they didn't want to answer. Uh, they could joke around with you. They had full confidence in their abilities, what they could do. Um, they were you open and honest when things were difficult. You know, Elliot had to deal with that a lot last year. There were times when, you know, for all the criticism you want to throw at Nathan Elliott, that kid showed up after every single game and he took hard questions. Uh, and so that's that's maturity and experience as this kind of shines through. Um, and you could tell in, in listening and talking to the guys today that um, there is a lot of youth there. And and for sure, to your point, Tommy, uh, you know, Cade and Jace are both a little bit more polished. Uh, and they've talked with us before. You know, that's Sam's first opportunity with with a bunch of TV cameras and and reporters huddling around him. Um, so I'll give him a little bit a little bit of slack, but. These guys have have five combined games of college experience between them. And Jace pretty much just has one series before he got hurt against Georgia Tech. And when we talk about Cade, I mean, he had the NC State game. He had a little bit of the Virginia Tech game. But then he had uh, kind of bit roles against Duke and and ECU. So uh, very little experience as a whole. Now you throw in a a brand-new offensive scheme they've got to learn. and you. Uh, Phil Longo mentioned how much youth there was on this offense, particularly at quarterback. And I think that was that was pretty evident in talking to the guys uh, on Tuesday evening. Ross, when y'all talked to Longo yesterday and then you and Greg had your spot outside Kenan Stadium there over inside Carolina.com and folks hadn't looked at all the content, you need to check it out. Um, been a ton of stuff the last couple of days, but the thing that comes to me from listening from the discussions about Longo's offense is it's faster than Fedora and maybe simpler than Fedora's. I heard that from at least one of the quarterbacks today. But your thoughts on that, because it's one of those things that for the past however long it's been, uh, we were told how fast Carolina's offense was, and it seemed fast at the time, though the numbers really declined the last couple of years. But here we're ramping back up that fast, fast, fast offensive style, and you've got those three young guys to run it. Yeah, I think when people we were kind of brainwashed to think that Fedora's offense was, was super fast, but I think Greg would be the first to say it was multi-tempo. It could go really fast, and that was to take advantage of when the – defense was on their heels but it could also go slow and, and they would take their time when they needed to and like you said last couple of years uh, with Nathan Elliott Chad Surratt it, it did move a little slower than it did with Trubisky and Marquise Williams at the helm um, so from everything we've heard and I know Greg wrote an article about it this offense will be faster they're going to um, I think the big thing that I took away from Phil Longo is they're going to get the ball in the playmakers hands that means they're going to get it any way they can to to Michael Carter, where that means in the backfield or as a, as a receiver, and get the ball to Daz Newsome. Uh, it could be short passes, could be long passes. Diami Brown uh, and Antoine Green are both expected to play big roles. I think Brown is set for a, a big, big year, um, kind of in year two with this new offense here. Um, and they have some playmakers, and that's be the goal. Get the ball to receivers and playmakers in space and let them roll. The They have the advantage of having very good – running backs in Antonio Williams and Michael Carter and Javante Williams. They have 
some really good tight ends. Uh, Carl Tucker, Phil Longo kind of raved about what Carl Tucker can do as an athlete, and Jake Vargas as well. Um, so they definitely have some playmakers. So that's going to be the, the goal for these receivers, obviously, is get the ball into some of those veterans' hands and let do, them do all the work. Um, you know, we haven't had too much revealed about the offensive line. I think there's still some question marks at who's going to snap the ball, whether that be Nick Polino or Brian Anderson. I, I know Ty Murray, the freshman, has got some run at center as well. But we expect probably to be Polino or Anderson. Um, and then that kind of changes who's going to be the guard. But they have some veterans there with Charlie Heck, and Ed Montillas has been pretty consistent, it seems, and Jordan Tucker as well. So, um, yeah, I mean, the, the big thing with, with uh, Longo is get the ball in space, let the playmakers do the role, and kind of lean on this run game. They're not going to – you know, it's not going to be all throwing it. The air raid is just about how they pass the ball when they do, but it's just as much of a, a power run game, and that's going to be a little bit different with how they, how they run the ball as opposed to how uh, Fedora's offense ran the ball. I got a follow-up to Greg on Longo's offense. I want to hit on johnnytshirt.com, get them, uh, talk about them early so folks are listening to us and they haven't um, sort of lulled into a little bit of uh, not paying attention too much. Johnnytshirt.com, certainly Johnny T-shirt on Franklin Street. With the football season coming along, they're right there on Franklin Street. If, if you park on that side, or even if you don't, you need to visit them on game day. It's a great place to stop in, say hello, pick up some Carolina swag, Mac is back, T-shirts, whatever you need Carolina-related, uh, and certainly all Carolina all the time at Johnny T-shirt and johnnytshirt.com. Certainly great sponsors of the Inside Carolina podcast. Uh, you're listening to that podcast. I'm Tommy Ashley, Greg Barnes, and Ross Martin. And Greg, let me ask you about Longo's offense. Now, we've seen what he's been able to do at his previous stops. My question to you is this. Will he adjust what he's trying to do based on the youth at quarterback? And it's not just the unfamiliarity with Longo's offense. It's the straight youth at quarterback. Um like we've already mentioned in this podcast, the lack of college reps for virtually all of them, certainly Sam Howell with none, Reuter with a few, and then Fortin with the most. You know, that that's a great question, Tommy. Um, and I think we kind of saw it a little bit with Fedora. When you kind of break down what, what Longo wants to do and what, what Fedora did, I think in terms of philosophy, there are a lot of similarities. And when I say that, uh, like Ross said, you, you want to get the, the ball out in space. The whole idea with, with Fedora was you want to you, – you, you've got the vertical field, but you've also got the horizontal field. You get the ball to Ryan Switzer, and he's in a one-on-one situation. Uh, that's going to work in Switzer's favor most of the time. And that's what we're going to see with, with this offense for sure is we're going to see you running backs out uh, in the slot because you, you're going to try to get a linebacker to cover Michael Carter. Coming over the middle, eh, good luck with that. You're going to try to get a cornerback to cover Carl Tucker when he split out wide. So you're going to see a lot of things like that. Um, but you, what Fedora talked about, what Longo talks about, is that they want to take what the defense gives them. Uh, and so they, they want to be uh, as successful running the ball as they are passing the ball. And in some instances, you know, if a team's going to stack the box, you got to be able to pass the ball. Um, if a team's going to try to take away the, the pass, you have to be able to run the ball. And so I think kind of the issue that we saw the last couple of years is because you had such youth and inexperience and, and maybe lack of talent at quarterback, 
North Carolina knew they had these good running backs. And so Fedora really wanted to be able to lean on the running game. And that's fine. And that's a good approach. But when your system is set up to take what the defense gives you, um, when, when the defense says, okay, well, they've got a freshman quarterback. Uh, we know they've got really good running backs. Mac Brown's hyped them all preseason, all offseason. We're going to try to take away the run first. And I guarantee you, I mean, I, I think we can all say that's what South Carolina's going to try to do. And so when you walk into that situation, how do things change? Can you say, you know what, I'm going to protect whoever this quarterback is to the best of my ability, and we're going to lean on Carter and the, the two Williams boys at running back. Well, if South Carolina's putting eight in the box, you're going to have success doing that? Um, and so that's the great challenge, I think, for Longo is you know, everybody expects your running game to be good, which means that opponents are going to prepare for that. So at some level, you have to throw the ball to keep those defenses honest. Now, does that mean that you have to go your full package, full air raid package in terms of going vertical, throwing deep routes, all these kind of things? Or do you mix it up a little bit so you can have some of these crossing routes? So you can have some of these you, you short hitches and, and drags and whatever to utilize easier passes where the quarterback's not having to throw you know, to a wide receiver or to a tight end who's got somebody draped all over him. That's the challenge is trying to figure out the, the good mix there to keep the defense honest without putting your quarterback in a situation where they can get you in trouble. Um, and that's that's one of the things about this competition is, and it was one of the reasons uh, we were kind of talking to the how today about it is you know, you've got the gunslinger mentality. How do you balance that? How do you balance the, hey, I've got to make a play or I'm going to make a play with, I just got to make sure I don't throw an interception. And he was of the mindset that, hey, I don't ever come into a play thinking I'm going to make a, a turnover. You know, I'm trying to make plays to help the team, which is admirable and which is what you want. That's the confidence you want in a quarterback. But as Longo said, you know, it's a matter of you got to have somebody who's a good leader, just have to have somebody who can take care of the ball. And so all those things kind of wrap into you know, what exactly you can do in terms of protecting your quarterback. Ross, did you get a sense um, either yesterday or today talking to guys that they were a little surprised that maybe the the defense did as well against Carolina's offense uh, as it did at the scrimmage last weekend? I, I mean, because the, the general sense is that the defense looked a lot better than maybe, I, I don't know, maybe the fan base thought they would look. Um, but did you get a sense from that, from from talking to the quarterbacks or talking to Longo or anybody that, hey, maybe this defense is either better than we thought it would be, which I think is probably a maybe an accurate statement, or the offense was just not as good as we thought it would be. Did you? Would you hear in in that regard? I think, like we've talked about, um, you know, there's a lot of uh, youth on offense, most notably the quarterbacks, as as we've talked about on this podcast so far. That's obviously a critical position for the. For the offense, and then you have some youth at wide receiver. Um, there's not many veterans. There's Daz Newsom's maybe your most veteran guy at wide receiver. I don't think there's any seniors. And you have some youth at, at offensive line. To combine that, you're going to have some question marks to offense. Whereas the defense is very thin, I think, but there's tons of seniors. There's tons of veterans. Miles Dorn, Miles Wolford, Patrice Renee, Greg Ross played a bunch. Trey Morrison uh, played, started every game last season almost. Um, you know, there's some question marks at 
linebacker, but Dominic Ross played a ton. And then when you look at the line, you have guys like Strobridge, Aaron Crawford, Tamon Fox. Those guys could be all ACC players next year. So there's a lot. I mean, it's pretty exciting to talk about how much, I mean, veterans and how much talent's on defense. So that kind of explains it to me. I don't know if there was too much surprise. Uh, I think it's a combination of the youth plus a whole new offensive system. And, you know, maybe they've grasped, the defense has grasped Jay Bateman's system a little bit quicker. Um, I think if you look at the message boards, you'd, you'd think that UNC's defense is all of a sudden, a, a, you know, a, a top 10 defense in the nation without playing a game. <laughs> that Jay Bateman deserves a uh, a giant, giant raise without having coached one single game. But uh, it, it is a positive for UNC that, it seems like the defense has grasped that, but I don't know if there's anything striking for the players suggesting the, the, the separation, but you do get a sense that the, the offense has gotten the message they need to step it up. And I'm sure coaches like Stacey Searles and, and Phil Longo have, have sent that message in meeting rooms and things that we don't see. Greg, that is an interesting uh, message board dynamic Ross mentioned there. I mean, they got Bateman, they got Bateman as uh coordinator of the year head coach next year without question Carolina's got to say you know they got a pony up and they may well but uh hadn't even played a snap yet uh, of live action but Greg your thoughts on the defense offense dynamic I mean it's the first time in a long time we've talked about defense in a positive light I think at Carolina and I think ultimately that that's a very good thing for this team this season? Yeah, you know, it's it's early. Um, as as Max said, Sunday. You know, when you're eight days in the camp, or which I believe is what the scrimmage was, eight days in, uh, by that point of camp, the defense should be further along than the offense. But why, why is that? Why should that be the case? I, I think what Ross said about the veterans on it, then maybe. But in general, why should that be the case? Well, just the fact that defense in general is, is more of a reactive uh, scheme. Uh, and then you've also got the fact that you, when, you, when you take new schemes like these, these units have, uh, and, and Jay Bateman's scheme, the, the defense, because they have those veterans, have been able to pick it up a little bit quicker. Uh, Longo has installed his offense now four times, twice in the spring, uh, twice through the first eight days of, of training camp. So those guys are still learning it, but you also have the youth there. And offense is much more, especially when we're talking about these types of offenses, where you know, Fedora and Longo talk about it being simple. Well, it's simple because it's repetitive. But it's only you're only as good as, as, as your, your perfect repetitions. That's why we see so many repetitions time and time and time again, because you're trying to perfect specific plays and that takes time it takes chemistry it takes trying to figure out who the primary quarterback is going to be it takes young guys coming along there's a lot of timing aspect to it and I think it's just easier for for defenses to kind of kind of find their groove early Um, that's kind of always been the case for for whatever it is and then the other component too is like Longo said coming into the scrimmage uh, there was a number of plays that they had installed they didn't think they were doing very well with. And so that's what they really ran in the scrimmage, trying to perfect those plays that they had struggled with. And so, you know, it's one of those things. We always talk about this. If the defense played really well, does that mean 
the offense sucked. What if both of them are even? Does that mean neither are any good or both are good? Um, and that's that's one of the things about training camp is everybody has highs, everybody has lows. But until we actually see this team play against other teams, we're not going to know. And that's that's the fun thing about college football, right? That's the fun thing about NFL is that during preseason, everybody's undefeated, right? When Mac Brown left us Sunday afternoon, he quipped, still undefeated with a big laugh. And so you have three weeks until we actually find out about this team. And that's the truth. That's why everybody gets so ramped up. They say, oh, you know, in July, it's, yeah, maybe we'll go to a bowl game. Well, by the time we get to the end of August, everybody's like, bowl game? Forget that. We're going to the ACC championship game. We might beat Clemson, right? We're going to win 10 games because everybody that we've heard about during training camp has played great. And so once you get into the reality of the regular season, a lot of those expectations are dashed and people get upset and we know how that kind of goes. And so I think it's just one of those things uh, we, we focus on the positives, maybe overlook the negatives, and then you just get a lot of, a lot of hot air. And that, that, as I said, that's the fun part of, of training camp. That's the fun part of the preseason. I don't know how much substance there necessarily is there. Man, you you nailed preseason football, especially college football fandom right there in that monologue. I'm going to take a short break, come back. We're going to talk a little bit about um, another aspect of the program that seems to be trending upward under Matt Brown's staff. But we'll come back, talk about that. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Back to the Inside Carolina podcast. I'm Tommy Ashley, Ross Martin, and Greg Barnes. Ross, you had an article yesterday about uh, strength and conditioning. And I, I think, you know, this, this is one of those things that, especially on Inside Carolina's message boards, it was discussed ad nauseum the last few years. And it's been um, really looked at closely by the fans and by everybody that's followed Carolina football. You had an article on Coach Brian Hess and about the position-specific training. Just talk a little bit about uh, what you gleaned from working on that article, but also um, what you've seen from being um, – you don't get much press access or, or practice access, but um, what have you picked on in, in strength and conditioning regards over the last 8, 12 days? Yeah, yeah. And I appreciate you reading that, Tommy. And a lot, it seems like a lot of people are interested in it and comment on that. And that's always appreciated, too. 
Um, so I talked to just players um, over the last 10 days and actually into um, they had Charlie Heck and Miles Dorn, ACC Media Day in Charlotte. And I was <clears throat> kind of talking to them about it as well. But I didn't talk to Brian Hess. Uh, we haven't talked to any strength and conditioning people. I'd love to do a, a longer look at the strength and conditioning program. But the main changes that I put in that article was they do a lot more stretching before practice, before workouts, and then after practice. So there's a huge emphasis on stretching, way more than with the previous staff under Lou Hernandez. Um, and then the actual workouts and actual training, they're doing less Olympic lifts, less big maxing out Olympic lifts, not trying to you know overexert themselves or do things that don't really correlate to in-game movements. Of course, there's going to be some general lifts that build strength that you need for certain exercises and certain movements, blocking lower leg strength, um, upper body strength, et cetera. But they're not doing just massive weights. Um, and I think that's important to note. And then kind of related to that, they're focusing on position-specific exercises. So the running backs, wide receivers, and cornerbacks and safeties are doing certain exercises that relate to their type of movements, you know, in more open space, more straight-line speed, more lateral movements, quick twitch, that kind of stuff. Um, then, you know, players, I think they call them the combo players, talk about tight ends, linebackers, defensive ends, maybe bigger wide receivers. They're doing different types of workouts that coordinate to their weight and what they can do and how they're used. Of course, a linebacker moves differently than a wide receiver. So each position has a different type of – it's focused for that, um, that type of position. And then linemen – uh, on both sides are doing different workouts as well. Same kind of thing. And an example I gave was the linemen weren't doing 120-yard sprints back-to-back-to-back to back to back or running around the perimeter of the field, which they had to do under the old regime. They are not. They don't need to do long-distance sprints because they're never running more than, what, 20 yards max in a game. So why would they need to run 120 yards? So that was a big change. Not doing stuff that they don't need to work on, uh, a focus on recovery, focus on stretching and you know who knows what the the impact that's going to be and one thing a lot of players have lost body fat and gained muscle the body composition was a a couple things like guys like brian anderson and uh jeremiah gamel spoke on just how how mind-blowing it has been under coach hess with their uh weight gain and body fat loss um compared to maybe past seasons so those are the big things. And I think anytime you change staffs and change personnel, you're going to have changes like that. It's just different people like different stuff. And um, just like recruiting, different staffs are going to recruit better or worse than other staff. So that's pretty interesting stuff. And uh, I think Coach has to be a positive addition to the staff. Greg, Ross hit on what I was going to ask you. It seems like every time a staff comes in, everybody generally loves the new strength and conditioning team. And this is no different. Why is Brian Hess – and his guys, why are they different than some maybe, you know, at Carolina in the past or some of the other schools where they come in and everybody loves them by the time they leave, it's good riddance. Well, I think with all things, um, you know, when, when something's new and fresh, you know, it's like Christmas morning and you have that excitement level that that's kind of innate with, with newness. Um, but I think with, with Hess, the fact that he was able to get the guys to buy in quickly um, he, he's a, a very positive individual. He gets along good with the, the guys. He pushes them. And I think I think when you start talking about kind of um, forward-thinking ideas like you know, position-specific uh, drills, you know, when you hear it, you're like, oh, yeah, of course, that makes sense. But yet, 
that hasn't been the case over the years. You remember when, when Milo was here with Butch, he was real big into flexibility, big into yoga, Pilates, uh, really wanting the guys to to uh, excel in those areas. And then you have a few injuries, and what happens? Oh, well, you know, that, that doesn't make sense. You don't need that kind of stretching because you have injuries. And then Lou comes in, and, um, you know, I, I don't know enough about it, but the way injuries went the last couple of years, you have to you tie that to strength and conditioning in some form or fashion. Um, but I'm not exactly sure you know, what it is. So that's just kind of one of the weird things uh, about how these things go on. But the fact that you Hess comes um, highly, um, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, he was he was a guy that Jay Bateman really spoke highly of. Recommended. See, there we go. Sought highly out. recommended. <laughs> um, sought after. Yeah. See, now, now you now you bring it to me. But Bateman was really impressed with what he was able to do uh, in Army, and so I, I think when you have you know a forward-thinking guy like Bateman kind of praising uh, what Hess can do, I, I think it's very beneficial. Mac really likes kind of the approach that Hess has taken. And so, uh, again, we're, we're at a point now we'll have to see how all these things, all these kind of things play out, but all of it sounds good right now. And the fact that the players are, are gaining muscle while losing body fat, uh, that is impressive to me. Uh, as I said, the, the position specific stuff is, is very neat and we'll have to see how that translates onto the field. Uh, because, you know, Fedora really pushed the idea of trying, trying to win the fourth quarter that did not happen in 2017. Uh, and it was a bit of an issue last year, although not as much as I think people want to make it out to be. Um, but that's going to be something critical that, that Mac has really pushed. So we'll get to see quickly, I think, um, how much you know, this new approach kind of kind of adds on to that. Yeah, and to, to add on to that, I mean, obviously the last two years, tons of injuries. And, you know, there, and there weren't many injuries the five years before. So it's hard to correlate them directly to what Fedora's strength and conditioning program, Lou Hernandez's strength and conditioning program did. But, you know, you can combine if maybe they, they were practicing and Keenan, that's something to do with it. But it's going to be interesting to see if, if there's any injuries this year. And, and those numbers were so crazy uh, the last two seasons. There had to be something they were doing that, that created that. And, I mean, I wish we could do some sort of huge research project on it. But there has to be some sort of relation to something they were doing. But um, it's just an interesting thing to think about. Yeah, and I'll say this too. You asked Fedora said last year and year before. If you go back to 2015 with the same strength and conditioning yeah. staff, UNC had some of the fewest injuries in the entire country, and that's one of the reasons they went to the ACC championship game. Um, and so it is it is difficult to to have that hard evidence to say, hey, this is strictly on what Lou did. I don't think we have near enough information to make that claim. Uh, but for sure, with the way that the injuries mounted the past two years, I mean, we're talking hundreds upon hundreds of games lost to injury, which is just incredible when you start looking at the numbers. Um, something something was amiss, and maybe it was just a field, uh, but, I, but I imagine there, there was more to it. Uh, depth's an issue. Uh, a lot of things go into it, but you certainly have to look with the, the condition aspect as well. I think it was the field. I think that's the only difference in those seven years. No, I'm joking. I mean, it could have been the field, the practice facilities and all, but we'll see. There's always injuries in sports. But uh, so, Greg, what's left? I mean, what 
Carolina's, uh, we've talked about the offense. We've talked about the quarterbacks. We, we know what they've got there, and we all assume they're going to be better and get it ironed out. Um, but it still remains to me, and there was a debate on the message boards, and I think you were involved in it. Um, you know, whose fault was it last year, the defense or the offense, um, if, if either side was better? So let, let's talk a little bit about this defense in general. Obviously, glowing reviews after the scrimmage, but like you mentioned earlier, they're playing against Carolina. So, is the offense terrible or is the defense better? Um, what do you need to see leading up to South Carolina, leading into that game week of practice, to to have you thinking maybe this defense is going to be better um, or will be better than they've been the last couple of years? Well, you know, to be honest with you. I don't know that we're going to be able to see or hear anything until that South Carolina game, um, because we're going to get to see you know, how much has Brian has really made an impact. How unique is the scheme that Jay Bateman's installing? Um, and now that North Carolina has a bunch of guys healthy, can they stay healthy and can they be productive? There's been no question that North Carolina's starting line, starting lineup, first team on defense should be solid. We haven't had, you know, we, I don't think any of us have, have kind of debated that. Uh, there are some question marks at linebacker, like, like Ross said. Uh, but for the most part, you know, I think the, the first team should be good. But as Jay Bateman said back in the, in the spring, he felt really good about his first team at, at Army. Uh, and so because they played so few snaps because of that, that ball control offense that, that Army runs, he didn't have to put a lot of backups on the field. But as, as Mack had said, has said numerous times, the question is when Aaron Crawford is out there for his 65th snap of the game, you know, can you bring in his backup and can his backup be just as good as Aaron when he's tired or is there a drop-off there? That's what's going to determine how good this team can be. Um, you, you've got to have depth, and we've talked about that before on this on this podcast. And so that's really going to be the challenge. And even, you know, even with the, uh, the scrimmage, you know, we heard that, you know, once, once you got past maybe the, the first team offense or defense, things changed pretty quickly. And I think that's the, the component that is so important in this training camp is this, it's not necessarily who's making all the standout plays. It's, are they effectively building depth? Are they going to have guys that can come in and breathe some of the starters and there not be a significant drop-off. If that does not happen, uh, then I don't know that any of our preseason projections will change. But if that does happen, then then I think this team you know, maybe can, can make a move that people are, are hoping for. Um, but you know, we're we're still in the early stages of camp, getting getting close to the midway point. Uh, but right now, it's still about depth, and it's, it's still about youth. And, of course, it's still about that uh, three-man quarterback race. Yeah, and on the defense, Greg said you know, a lot of things I was going to say as well. But one thing I would suggest, and you, there is there is just a lack of depth behind Crawford and Strobridge. We've been told Zach Gill is serviceable and Jill Taylor. But we talked to Jill Taylor on, God, I think it was Sunday. And I said, hey, man, who is the, the – Jill Taylor is the backup nose tackle. I said, hey, man, who's the uh, who's your backup? You know, who's the third string – nose tackle and he didn't have anybody so there's there's no one behind you little taylor and he hasn't played that much either so 
they need to rest Aaron Crawford and Strobridge and Tamon Fox. They need those guys to, you know, do enough work each day where they're, they're staying, you know, in tune, but they don't need to risk any injury there. And that kind of goes the same for guys like Miles Dorn and Patrice Renee. I think they're really good in the first string, like Greg said, but beyond that, they're, they're definitely not going to be uh, super, super talented. Maybe some serviceable options uh, at defensive back, but even at linebacker, we don't really know what they have behind Gamel and Dominique Ross. Even even Gamel hasn't played much at all. So I would, I mean, these last couple of weeks, you know, really build that depth by resting and, and kind of preserving your stars. Because I think Strobridge and Crawford are critical for the success of this team. And uh, and then saying healthy could make or break the season from from being a six or seven win team to being kind of that three you know, two three four type win team without those players. Interesting take there to end it, Ross. I'm gonna let that be the the be all end all of this podcast. I am gonna tell you both get ready for next week as we'll do our annual uh, game by game predictions. And uh, to be quite honest, we've sucked uh, quite a bit lately in those predictions at least over the last two or three years, Greg, I, I don't know about you, but I've been awful. So uh, I'll own it. We've been, we've been overly optimistic, Tommy, for uh, a the, long, long time. We have been minus, the minus ultimate, 2015. Yeah. We've been the ultimate uh, Charlie Brown running to kick that football. And, and uh, <laughs> we'll finally see if anybody learns, but Ross look forward to talking to you for that one, Greg, you two will bring in the others. Hope we can get Mike Buck, Jason, the whole band together for that podcast. But I'm going to wrap this one, this Inside Carolina podcast, sponsored by JohnnyTShirt.com. Ross and Greg, I do appreciate your time. See you, Tommy. Thanks, Tommy. Thanks for listening to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com. Where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase.